Welcome to Church Project. If you're a first-time guest, we're glad that you are here. We kind of think the Bible is a pretty big deal. Uh, So we hope that you have a Bible in front of you. Uh, If you don't, and you don't own a Bible, uh, we have Bibles over on the lamps, over on your right and left, and raise your hand, we'll, we'll give you one of those. That's, that's, that's some of the things that we do with tithing. You know, some of our money comes so that people can have Bibles and support ministries and do all sorts of stuff at Church Project, but specifically this morning, if you have a Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 22, verses 1 through 6. There was lights for a second. There we go. All right. Thank you, Weston. Hey, before we take off this morning, and I mean take off this morning, this is going to be a powerful morning in the scripture. We're covering six verses. Some of you are like, awesome, because last week we covered about 400 verses. So we're making up for it this week. We're putting on the brakes. We're only going to cover six verses, Luke chapter 22, 1 through 6. But these are powerful verses. I'm excited to give this message this morning. Uh, But before we take off, uh, I, I just want to honor Jeremy and Brittany Ashida. Um, they, they do a lot here at Church Project. Jeremy's up here leading worship, and it's pretty phenomenal. Uh, some of you might know it and might have it, but he has a, an album out, and it's incredible. The first song that we played today was off, off that album. Uh, he's a very, very talented man of God. And then we have Brittany here, um, who is, is, is extremely talented in everything that she does. She's a teacher at at, is it Northridge? Yeah, teaches at Northridge, and um, the kids love her, and she helps in, in Project Kids here, and, and, and sings as well, and, and they're, they, they do a lot here, and you know what else they do? They direct our students. How many of you would voluntarily do that? Chad? Good, because they're looking for volunteers, so... No, but, so when you see them, not Brittany today, because she's sick, but, but when you see them, come and give them a hug and say thank you for what you do with, with leading us in worship and, and also what you do with our students. I, I personally thank you. I have two daughters that are in their youth group, and so thank you guys for what you do. This is just a small example of what we all do. This is the body of Christ. Like, it takes, it takes all of us. Like, Chad's up here clapping. He gets here early in the morning. He sets up all the chairs, everything that you see. We have the sa- you get the picture. Like we, we all get to contribute to this thing called Church Project, and, and, it's, and it's awesome when, when we get to do that. Today, uh, I'm excited to give this message. Uh, let me just read the first six verses, and, and then we'll go, go through and kind of, kind of talk about it. Uh, Luke chapter 22, verses 1 through 6. Now the feast of the unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was, the number, uh, who, was, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. What we're looking at here is a pretty tremendous time in the, in the life of Jesus. The disciples, they've, they've been out and about in the wilderness. They've been to small towns. They've been in villages. Uh, and they're, they're coming into, if you know your, your, your Bible history and where we're at right now in Luke, we're coming into the last couple of days of Jesus' life. And so we're sitting, and, and, and we open up Luke chapter 22, and, and it's the 12 disciples. They're, they're up, they're spending time with Jesus, and it's now the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. That's also know, known as the Passover. 
And in the, in the Jewish culture at this time, they would, they would celebrate Passover the, and the Pentecost and the tabernacles. And, and everybody would come together. And at this time, the Hellenistic Jews, the Jews that were all about, not even in Jerusalem, but all about, Jews would come together during the Passover of unleavened bread and they would celebrate. And so coming into Jerusalem right now are 100, maybe 200,000 people as they come together to celebrate the Passover. Well, what makes the Passover worth celebrating? What makes it worth, worth celebrating? And why did the Jews celebrate this thing called the Passover? Well, what this is, is a celebration, is if you think back into the Old Testament of the Bible, what happened when Moses was leading the Israelites out of Egypt? He would go and say, let our people go. And God finally delivered them from slavery and into the wilderness they went. And the night before they went, there was a thing where one of the plagues, one of the things that happened was that the firstborn of every son was going to be killed in that area. Unless the Israelites would sacrifice a lamb, a pure lamb, take the blood, put it over the doorposts, and, and the, the angel of death would pass over that house. So the next morning, people woke up from all over Egypt. Sons, firstborns were dead, except if you had the blood of an unblemished land put over your doorposts. The Passover. It's a reason to celebrate. Next day, after this Passover, Israelites, they hurried out and, and they were in such a rush that, that they made this bread, bread without yeast, unleavened bread. And they go forth and, and Jesus, he times it right now that as he's coming into Jerusalem to celebrate what had happened in the Old Testament with the Passover, Jesus times it so he's coming in during this Passover time. And he's saying this, he's saying, I am that sacrificial lamb. You remember that sacrificial lamb that, that you had to sacrifice and put that, that blood over your doorpost to pass over and cover over all the sins of the people and to be that sacrifice? Jesus is coming into Jerusalem at this time. He timed it perfect to be coming in. And he with his life is saying, I am that sacrificial lamb. Isn't that beautiful? We see in Hebrews 9.22, it says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. In the Old Testament, if you sin, there had to be blood sacrificed. And Jesus is coming, and he's saying for us, church, I am the blood. I am the one that's being sacrificed for you. For all of humanity. Every man, woman, child, for every sin committed, I am that sacrificial lamb. Isn't that awesome? Isn't this worth celebrating? You see why 100,000, 200,000 people are embarking on Jerusalem to celebrate what had happened. And Jesus is using this time to say, I'm about to usher in something that's going to be incredible. So we come to this time, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread drew near, called the Passover, in verse 2. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. <laughs> What are they doing? What are these chief priests doing? They're, they're, they're looking for a way to capture Jesus. They're looking for a way to kill Jesus. So what do you think needs to happen in a person's life in order to get to this point? Their heart needs to be pretty hard, doesn't it? 
They have to have something, a big grievance against somebody. And, and so why are they seeking to put him to death? The, Pharisee, the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees all throughout the scripture were reading as, as Jesus is teaching. Don't laugh at me. I know I said it backwards. I know. It's all good. All, all throughout the teaching, the, the, the Pharisees and Sadducees, Chad, they're, try, they're trying to catch Jesus. They're trying to capture him. And it's not happening. They come in here and the chief priests, they had the final authority between the Roman government and the Jews. And their heart is hard towards Jesus. Why is their heart hard? Church, I want to ask this question as we just kind of look at this for a second. Is your heart hard towards Jesus? Why is their heart hard? We think back. Just, just a few chapters ago in Luke, and this is a good thing to read back today as your, you know, halftime of the Bronco game or something. Read, read this. Why are their hearts hard? Well, think back. Jesus, um, especially after Jesus started teaching the truth and, and he cleansed the temple, there was action. He's boldly teaching the truth and he cleansed the temple. It was from this point on that it truly was. Not, we, we're not just annoyed with you and we're not just threatened by you, but we want to kill you. Our hearts are hard towards you because he what? Was love? Because he spoke truth? Because he, stole, he, he stood up boldly for what was right? Huh. Jesus, you're not very politically correct. Reminds me of our 33 series. If you're, if you're a man, you're coming to, uh, if you're coming to Saturday morning, we have the 33 series, and we're walking through um, just a Bible study, what it means to, to be a man. And, and one of the part of the definition, there's four-part definition, but one of the parts of the definition of what it means to be a man is a man rejects passivity. Doesn't just stand in the gap doing nothing. Like we see, we see Adam when, when it, back in the uh, Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, and, and, and Eden is, is tempted. And what do you see Adam doing? We don't, do we? He just kind of, he's there, like he's physically there, but he's just path, passive. He just kind of went limp. And as men were going through and were looking how important it is to reject passivity and to stand up and to boldly teach the truth and to have action in what we do and what we say and how we live. And Jesus, from, from the, his whole life, he had action, he had point, he had truth. And when he cleansed the temple, the hearts were hardened of the chief priests and people there. They couldn't accept the action that Jesus was putting there. You ever have a chance to reject passivity? Do you? Any of us? This isn't just a concept for man. This is Christianity. This is for, for humans. I mean, think of a time. Have you ever had a chance to reject passivity in your own life, to, to stand up for truth, but you kind of went limp? I can think of multiple times in my life that maybe if I could have played that over again, I would have said something. Or I'd have done something. In a conversation with a friend of mine who's talking about struggles in his marriage and, and it's, not, it's not really feeling right with me, so I don't, I, but I don't speak up and say something only to find out two months later that this now is going towards divorce. And man, what would have happened if I would have stood up and I would have spoke truth boldly in that time? Have you ever had a chance to speak truth, to stand up, but you kind of just wilted away? As much as God is working behind the scenes in our lives, Satan is looking for his chance to sway and influence our lives and our decisions. As much as Jesus is working behind the scenes, Satan's after us. 
He wants to sway us. He wants to derail us. And as we look at these six verses right here, what do you think about Judas? This is a topic for, for you to have with someone else, something to talk about after, after our gathering here. You think Judas was a Christian? We'll just, we'll just leave it at that, let you talk about this later. But let's, look, let's continue to, to look at this, the, these verses right here. We get down to verse 3. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. Hmm. Satan entered Judas. You know Satan doesn't like you, by the way? I mean, Halloween tries to say that Satan likes you, right? Besides the candy, nothing good about Halloween except the candy, sugar rush. I'm just now coming off of that, by the way. Satan's after you. Like, he, he wants to kill, steal, and destroy you. He's looking for an opportunity to do so. If you even think back in the life of Jesus, back in Luke 4, 13, what happened? Jesus was tempted in the desert. By who? In the wilderness. By Satan. And what does it say in verse 4, 13 of Luke? It says that Satan at that time left him and waited for an opportune time to return back to tempt Jesus. Satan is coming after each and every one of us. He wants to derail what God has for us. So we look here at Judas. Judas, what does he do in these six verses? Judas opened his heart and Satan entered it. If you know much about the life of Judas, money was his downfall. Like money was the place where Satan could come in and get him. And I think about each and every one of us. Where, when we start hardening our heart, where will Satan come and just kind of tempt us or wait and come back for an opportune time to come back at us? Is it money? Is it lust? Is it pride? Is it laziness? Is it passiveness? What, what is it where, where Satan will come in and he'll be very wise and just kind of begin to trick us and try to sway us and to get our decisions to go against what God has for us? Money was his downfall. Look at John 12, 6. You can just kind of write that down. We're going to be talking about John here in a little bit. But look at, he was the keeper of the money bag, and he dipped into it. What does that mean? He stole. <laughs> so, so one of the 12, the keeper of the money bag. Money was his problem, and he was even stealing from, from the treasury of, of the 12 disciples. Satan knew this. He knew how to get to Judas. It said, Satan entered Judas. Well, who is Satan? Satan is a fallen angel. I think I can best describe Satan by describing Jesus, God. So let's do so just a little bit here, okay? God is all-powerful. God is all places. God is unlimited. The creator of everything we know. Satan is the opposite. Let's focus on who God is, church. God is all-powerful. He's all places. He's unlimited. He's the creator of everything that we know, and Satan is the complete opposite. Yet many times we blame, our, uh, our, we blame Satan for our sin, right? Oh, Satan made me do it. Really? Can Satan be in all places at all times? No. He doesn't have this capacity. Jesus can. God can. So is it quite possible that the one Satan entered you and made you do it that one time, like steal that cookie? Um, he probably has better things to spend his time on 
However, though, our flesh is so sinful. Our flesh is powerful. It's overwhelming. We're born with a sin nature. And Satan's after us. That's the bad news. Can we get to the good news? This is the good stuff. Judas was was one of the twelve. And this might hit home for some of us in this room right now because we look good, don't we? Just look around, look at your neighbor and say, you look good. So do I. Judas was one of the twelve. Outside, he looked okay. He looked the part. He saw Jesus perform miracles. He was, he, was, he was part of this. On the outside, people would look at him and go, you look good. You got it together. Church, write this down because this is a good line. I like this one. Just belonging to Jesus' group doesn't mean you belong to Jesus. Ooh, that's good. Perman gave me an up and down shake. That's good. Let me say that again. Just belonging to Jesus' group doesn't mean you belong to Jesus. Like, we can come in here, we can walk the part. We can look the part, we can talk it, we can, we can have all, all the, the outward signs of what it means to be a Christ follower, but yet, but yet, but yet, maybe we're just part of a nice little club and Jesus hasn't really gripped our heart. So the question is, some of you may be thinking, is, even as that, the little question I asked you is, can Satan enter into a Christian? No. Can Satan enter into people? Yeah. Absolutely. If the condition of your heart is such that the Holy Spirit doesn't reside there, absolutely. Absolutely. As humans, we are made in the image of God. We have a body, soul, and spirit. And, and as this one little book I'm reading right now, I think is a, is a great little book. This is a truth of who we are and what scripture reveals in us. We are vessels created to contain God. We are vessels created to contain God. Jesus lived a life where everyone else thought, or Judas lived a life where everyone else thought he's good. Like, Judas, did, wasn't that the guy that spent nights at the campfire with Jesus? Wasn't he one of the guys that walked around and collected 12 baskets of food after a miracle? Like, isn't this the same Judas? Man, he must be right in. He's tight with God. But yet his heart was ready to receive Satan himself. I read verses like this, and this scares me, by the way. Does this scare you? A little bit it scares me. It's scary to think that you can come to church, you can sing the songs, you can look the part, but nope. It's a good show. This is the good part of the, this is the, good part of the message and the part that I've been praying for all along. And, and, and this is it. It's, it's a question. And only you can answer this, okay? Here's the question. Have you received Jesus as your Savior? That's what this whole message is about. Have you received Jesus as your Savior today? It would be ignorant of me to come in here and think that every single one of us, we truly have a transformed heart that's madly in love with God. Because some of us, quite honestly, Judas, one of the 12, could walk in and act the part, but yet his heart, he was not a regenerated heart. 
Have you received Jesus as your Savior? The moment where you stand up and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need you. Jesus, my sin is caused for blood and you've been the sacrifice. My conditions are far from perfect and I'm far from living a life that you've created for me to live and and how you've instructed me to live and I'm far from you. Have you received Jesus as your Savior? The moment where the Holy Spirit comes into our life and says, I've given you a new name and I've sealed up your future. And if you've called on the name of Jesus and the Holy Spirit has come into you and he's come into your heart, then you cannot lose that salvation. There's nothing you could do to earn that salvation. There's nothing you can do to lose that salvation. You are saved. You are sealed. You are secured. And that's exciting. Because Satan can't touch you then. Because the Holy Spirit lives inside you. We see Judas, not to answer the question I posed. Do you think Judas was a Christian? There was no way he could have been. He wasn't regenerated. There was emptiness. The Holy Spirit wasn't inside him, leading him, loving him. So the question is, is there any of us right now listening in this room or our podcast or whoever that you're just camouflaged in the body? You know, among us, we just kind of look the part. The scariest thing for us is to think that we're good, but yet we've never surrendered to Jesus. Jesus' sacrifice is enough to cover cover every one of our sins. If we call on his name, we have a regenerated heart. And that's a beautiful thing. Can we move on a little bit here? So, Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, in verse 3, who was the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers and how they might betray him, and on and on and on it goes. But what I would love to do right now is, I would love to challenge you with this. John chapter 13 is something that would be a great Bible study for you to do this week. John chapter 13, and specifically verses 21 through 30. Um, this, this, as we're looking at the Gospels and we're looking at the Bible, Luke tells us, what, two verses of what this interaction looked like between, between Judas and Jesus. But if you go over to John, it gives, it gives many, many verses of what this, what this transaction looked like and what this moment looked like right here. So John chapter 13, 21 through 30, write that down, read it this week. But in John, when he's talking about this interaction right here, Judas is is sitting right to the left of Jesus. And right to the left of Jesus at this time, this is the place of honor. Judas is sitting at the place of honor. And as the night progressed and this Passover and this, this little thing is progressing right here, Jesus ends up taking off his outer garments. And what does he do to Judas? Who, by the way, he knows is going to betray him. He washes his feet. Would you do that? If you knew someone was going to betray you to the point where you end up dying because of that betrayal, would you then look at them and wash their feet the night before? And Jesus says, one of us, one of us 12, we're going to end up betraying him. And Judas looks at Jesus and says, surely not I. 
Not I. And Jesus says, what you got to do, go do quickly. And what I think is one of the most, uh, probably four of the worst words that I've read in the Bible, and it really grabbed me this week, is John chapter 13, verse 30. The last four words says this, after Jesus looks at Judas with love and says, what you're going to go do, go do it quickly. The last four words says this, and it was night. Literal night. Night in Judas's heart. No hope, no light, darkness. And we get to see the character of God. We get to see God smiling in these moments. We get to see Jesus smiling. And let me give you some verses why Jesus is smiling right here. Loving the man that's about to go betray him. Let me give you some verses that that show you who Jesus is in our life. Romans 5, 6. If you can count by two, you'll, you'll get these, okay? Romans 5, 6, Romans 5, 8, Romans 5, 10. I almost didn't count by two properly. This is Jesus. He loves the ungodly, Romans 5, 6. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He knew this. In Romans 5, 8. He died and he lived and he loved for who? Sinners. Look at 5.8. But God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Sinners. And what does Romans 5.10 say? Jesus loved and died for his enemies. For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Romans 5.10. Put yourself in that scenario. You know someone's going to betray you. Ungodly, sinners, enemies. Do you love them? Do you wash their feet? Do you serve them? Church, this is the Jesus we serve. This is beautiful. This is the God that's, that's come into this thing called our body. This is the God that wants to move in us and through us to love the world at large. And when people come and, and spit on our face and slap us, it's God moving in us to love that person. It's not by our power. It's by God. God loves and God does and God heals and God is hope through us, this body. He's given us this example. This is who God is. Then we get to verse 4 and in Luke 22. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and the officers how he might betray him. So sad. Verse 5. And they were glad. They agreed to give him money. So he consented and saw an opportunity to betray him in, in the absence of, a, of the crowd. He betrayed Jesus. Did any of you, when you read this, think, think like I did on this? Think, you, know, you know James, Jesus' half-brother? He didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah until he saw him raised after death. Did any of you have this thought? Judas, Judas. Don't, don't you want to say, read into the story and go, Judas, Judas, just hold on. 
Like, just hold on a day. Hold on two days. Just hold on. Like, greatness, you're about to see an incredible, incredible things. You're right there. Do you, do you want to, like, call back into history and say, hey, Judas, P.S., don't do it. Hold on. You're about to see incredible things happen. Hold on. Church, hold on. Just a couple more days. So last night, my wife took me for my 40th anniversary. That's what I call my birthday. Coming up this week. To Toad the Wet Sprocket. Anyone know that band? Probably not. Kyle, there you go, man. You and I should have went. Like four people know this room. I would sing the songs, but it's not good. You want me to try? No, I won't. And it was neat. We got there early, sat in the balcony, had chairs, because that's just what we do. Just kind of had our earplugs in and listening to the band. And This is an old band. In fact, he goes, this is a flashback to 1989, and played a song. I'm thinking, this is like a 25-year-old song? Wow, I'm old. And I'm, and I'm, thinking, I'm thinking about these songs. It was just a moment just to sit there and, and just reflect and think about all that God has, has brought me through. But yet sometimes when we're going through these things that we call hell, the things that just seem so important, Jesus is saying, hold on. Hold on a couple days. Judas, hold on. Don't give up. Don't throw it in. Don't, don't let Satan come after you in this. Hold on. And church, I want to ask you right now, right now, where, where's your heart and where's your mind? Hold on. Trust God. Hang on that truth. Don't be passive. Don't, don't just sit there and go limp. You know that God is powerful and Jesus is powerful and Satan's whispering the other things to you. He's throwing lies and temptations your way. But we have God in us. God, the living God in us. Hold on, church. Count on that love. Trust God for who he is. Sin will take you. It will separate you from God and his plan for your life. Sin is powerful. Satan has already planned a plan for destruction for your life. Do you know that? Have we been one of the 12s on the outside? Looking good, doing the right stuff in community, and yes, even going to house church. but we don't believe in Jesus. We don't call him our savior. Church in this place, for those of us that have given our life to Jesus, man, we're about to enter into a week that nationally we celebrate Thanksgiving. May we not celebrate the shiny, cool things. May we celebrate what's worth celebrating. And on the deepest level, may we say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you intentionally and willingly went to the cross for me, that you were the sacrificial lamb that covered over all my sin and all my wrongdoing. This is about you, for you, from you. May I live for you as we looked in the passage last week. May my life, everything that I am, may I just be a capsule of you, walking and going and showing and loving and encouraging each other and spurring each other on, church, to love and good deeds and and being hope in darkness. So as we look at those last four verses in John 13, verse 30, may they break your heart as Judas left after betraying Jesus and it said that, and it was night. May that devastate us and spur us on to let our light 
Jesus' light shine through our life. Amen. After this, uh, after our gathering, we're going to have a, 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 a trip for Haiti or, or, or a meeting for Haiti. For those of you that are already signed up to go to Haiti, and we also have two more spots. Uh, for anybody that wants to go to Haiti, we're going to have an informational trip right after this uh, or meeting. I keep, keep calling it a trip, whatever it is. You, you get what I'm saying. Maybe God's spurring you on to that. Maybe God's spurring you on to other things in this place. But, but here's the deal. I would love each and every one of us right now just to focus in on who God is in this place. Whatever actions come about our day this week is almost irrelevant. I'd be as bold as to say it is irrelevant. Abiding in God in this place is the most relevant thing that we can do. And as we move about our day, every breath that God gives us as a gift, may we be thankful for that. But, we may, but we, may we be moving out of a love relationship with God that's real, not this fake conjured up thing. For some of us, we really need to seek our hearts. See, have I truly given God control of my life? Or do I just look the part? If you would, close your Bibles and let's pray. Let's go through a time of of just meditating on who God is in this place. And I trust that God will be speaking to you. God, I, I, I thank you for bringing us here. I thank you for this incredible message. You were the sacrificial lamb. And you loved your betrayers, your enemies. You served them. God, you served us. God, it was our sins that put you on the cross. And you did so lovingly. God, I pray that our hearts are are broken for you. And if we started focusing on shiny things and things that are irrelevant recently, God, we'd remove that quickly and put you first place in our life. That we'd realize It's you. Like we, our lives. It's you. Pray that that moves us this week. Moves us to go where you go. In unison with you. May that reality sink into each and every one of us. As we go to our workplaces, as we go to school, as we go to Thanksgiving, as we travel, as we go shopping, as we go work out, as we sit, may the reality that you are in us, God, it's about you. May it rock our world. Would you just ask God in this place, just out of a heart posture of surrender, just hold your hands out to God in submission, saying, God, here's my life. Anything I'm struggling with or thinking through or processing, I put in my hands and give to you, God. And I receive anything you want to show me and teach me today. Oh, God, <laughs> thank you. For some of us, for the first time in this place, 
This morning might be the morning where you go for the first time. God, I understand now. I understand that my sin put you on the cross. You died for me. That blood was needed because of me. And God, I'm so sorry. I give you my life. I surrender complete control to your life. God, would you, would you please forgive me of all sin? And I call you Lord and I call you Savior. Here's my life. Guide me, direct me, teach me, use me. Encompass me. May this be you. Church, I don't know what God is prodding or moving in your heart, but I pray that you're open to whatever it is and that we worship him in this place. I'm going to ask us just corporately, if we would, just stand up and we'll continue to worship God. There's multiple ways that we can worship God. One, through our tithes and our offerings on the right. We can give back to God. He says, don't don't let anything hold me back from your life. Even in your finances, give to God. And as a church, we give and we do with that. Some of us, it's, it's taking communion today. And we can do that over on the right table as well. Communion is a remembrance of what, what Jesus is do, has done on our behalf. He hung his body willingly on the cross. It was broken. His blood spilled. And so he says, do this and remember me when he talks about communion. And so today, we have an opportunity to do this in remembrance of what Jesus has done for us. And so over on your right, you can take a cracker that represents his body that was broken could dip it in the grape juice that represents his blood that was spilled for us to cover our sins, the Passover. And we can say, thank you. Some of us is just worshiping God, praying, talking. But here's what I pray. God, would you move over us today? And it's in your name we pray. Amen.